All right, Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, as we wrap up our study tonight. Let me read you the section we're going to close with here. It says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Now there's a lot to cover here. If you remember, and, you, and as we read verse 1, this last chapter of Daniel starts with the words, at that time. Actually, three to four times in this one verse, that phrase is used in a form or another. Look again at verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now, would we not agree that the Holocaust was a pretty, pretty rough event for the nation of Israel? The Bible says that what's going to still happen is going to make the Holocaust seem like nothing. Isn't that amazing? What they're about to go through, and we're going to show you some scriptures tonight that deals with this. The nation of Israel is about to go through during the tribulation period, but especially from the midpoint on, a time of horrific events such as never happened to that nation ever before or never will ever be again. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he gets to that in Matthew 24. We'll look at that in just a second. But he also goes on and he says, but there will be people who will be delivered from the nation of Israel, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a look at other prophecies that talk about this terrible time to come for the nation of Israel at the midpoint to the end of the tribulation period. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Look at verses 7 through 14. Revelation 12, starting in verse 7. You're going to see some familiar names here. It says, Now war arose in heaven. Michael, who's Michael? 
the archangel. Remember like we just saw in chapter 12, verse 1, the one who's in charge of the people of Israel? And Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, that's Satan, and, and his dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now, if you remember earlier in the study of chapter 12, you'll see that the woman is Israel and the male child is Jesus. And so Satan, when he's thrown down to the earth at the midpoint of the tribulation, will pursue the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Again, how long is that? Three and a half years. We've seen it over and over and over. Go to Matthew chapter 24. So we see from Revelation 12 that at the midpoint of the tribulation, there's going to be a war in heaven. And Michael, the archangel, and his angels are going to fight against Satan and his angels, the demons. And they're going to be defeated. And at that time, they will be removed from heaven, finally, ultimately, and sent down to the earth. Now, people have said for years, well... God can't be in the presence of evil. Yes, he can. Satan is in his presence all the time, accusing everyone every day. The Bible actually says in the book of Job, chapter 1 and chapter 2, when the angels appear before God, who came with them? Satan, when they had that whole conversation about Job. But at this point, he will no longer be allowed to be in the presence of God in heaven, and he'll be cast to the earth. And buddy, when he knows that his time is short, he's going to do what he can do really good to the best of his ability. Listen to Matthew 24 and start in verse 9. We had already seen in our study of Matthew 24 where Jesus talked about the first part of the tribulation period, but that's just the beginning of the birth pains. In verse 9, then he says, Then they will deliver you, talking to the Jews, up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased... By the way, why is lawlessness being increased at this point? Satan and his demons have been thrown down to the earth. You think things are bad now? Folks, be praying for people to come to know Jesus because this is not going to be a time you want to be on the earth. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Again, we've talked about that, how those Jews that survived the tribulation period, they're going to be saved. They're going to come to faith. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We don't have time to get into this too much. But if you don't mind, write down Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, because... For years, we've heard preachers in the church say, as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. You've heard that, haven't you? Well, that's horrible, horrible study of your scriptures because the Bible's very, very clear that the gospel already has made it to the whole world. Go read Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, this gospel which has been preached in all creation. 
Don't misunderstand. I think we're to keep sending missionaries. We're to keep telling people about Jesus because generations are being born every day who need to hear about Jesus. But don't think for a second that there are time periods of the earth that people never got to hear about Jesus. What does that say about God? Well, as soon as we can get the gospel to the whole world, well, that means there are people that never got a chance to be saved. Is that who God is? That's not what the Bible says. Everybody has enough light that they can respond to. Romans chapter 10, where it talks about how can they believe unless someone preaches to them and how can they preach unless they're sent. If you keep reading in that section, instead of making it on us, by the way, the Bible says God's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Is he waiting for us to get the job done? No. If you keep reading in that section that preachers love to use to say, you got to hurry up and go tell them or else they may never hear, which is bad theology. It says, have they not heard? Of course they did. His word has gone out into all the earth. But if you understand the context of Matthew 24, you'll remember Jesus is laying out the tribulation period, that seven-year period that's still left for the nation of Israel. And the first half is going to have the wars and the Antichrist, and the rumors of war and famines and earthquakes. That's just the beginning of the birth pains. Then all of a sudden, the Jews are going to be hated and they're going to be chased out and, and all this stuff. And we'll get to that even more when we get to verse 15. And if you look at Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7 later on, you'll see that from the midpoint on, from that some point in there till the end, an angel hovers in midair and preaches the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world. So when Jesus says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come, he's not talking about us. He's talking about that angel that's going to do it that the book of Revelation lays out for us in that section. But keep reading now in verse 15. Jesus says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect... Those days will be cut short. Sounds like Daniel 12, 1, doesn't it? There's going to be a time like there has never been on the earth, especially for the nation of Israel. By the way, Jesus said that they were to run to the mountains, into the wilderness. We see in Revelation 12 that the Jews who did believe and listen to Jesus run to the wilderness. Where do they run? Remember last week? They run out the area we know of is Jordan now, but over toward Edom and Moab. Remember our study earlier? That's the one area that the prophecy said the Antichrist won't have control over. And that's where they're going to run. And they're going to be protected by God there. Go to Zechariah chapter 13. Let me just give you one more Old Testament prophecy that gives us a little idea how bad this is going to be. I'm just going to read to you Zechariah 13 verses 8 and 9. Zechariah 13, verse 8, In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. They will say, I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Again, talking about the nation of Israel and what God's going to do for them and to them during this time period. How many of the Jews are going to be killed at that point? Two thirds of the Jews are going to be killed. 
One third will be, will be left, and that third is the third that God is going to purify, and they're going to come to faith. So now we have a rough idea of how many of the Jews are going to make it through the tribulation period. One third will do so. Now, if you go back to Daniel 12 and look again at the end of verse 1, he's just talked about how there's going to be a time of trouble like there's never been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. We now know a third of them. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And hang on for a second. Once again, we see that God has recorded things in a book. I think this book could be referring to the book of the Lamb in which all the saved people of the earth are written. All right, let me show you what two places that talk about this book of the Lamb. Go to Revelation 13. Look at verses 5 through 8. Revelation 13, verses 5 through 8. Revelation 13, verse 5, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. How long is that again? Three and a half years, just like we've been seeing. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints, this is the tribulation saints, and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Well, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So here it says the whole world, everyone on the earth will worship the beast, the Antichrist at that time, except who? The saved. Those whose name are written in the book, of the, the book of the Lamb, or the book of life. Now listen closely. When were their names put in the book according to the scripture? Before the foundation of the world. Now, listen closely. This does not remove man respo- man's responsibility because Jesus himself said, you know, things are going to go the way that God says they're going to go, but woe unto him by whom it goes that way, talking about Judas. All along, man has a choice but God already knows the choice. That's why Peter, when, and Peter says, I'll never deny you. Jesus says, actually, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny you know me three times. So who was right? Jesus. Remember when Jesus told Peter, hey, go throw your fishing line in the water. First fish you catch, open its mouth. You'll find in there a coin for you and a coin for me. Go pay our, our tax. How, God is above all time. He sees it all. He already knows it all. He speaks it, and it happens. But it never removes man's responsibility. All through Scripture, man will be held responsible. We saw already tonight in Daniel 12, some will purify themselves. Some will make themselves white. Well, how? By responding appropriately. Folks, listen to this. I've heard people say to me, well, if God already knows what decision I'm going to make, I really don't have a choice. No, listen, you do make the right choice. But once you make it, God already knew it. And everyone whose name is written in the book will be saved. And he already knows. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Look at verses 11 through 15. Here we see that there's going to be a great white throne judgment. This, by the way, is at the end of the millennial kingdom. This is the judgment of the wicked dead later on. This will be important for us as you're going to see we're going to look at timing of different resurrections in just a second. But in Revelation 20, look at verses 11 through 15. John says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. By the way, does that mean that God's going to feel real lovey at this moment? 
If the earth and sky is trying to get away from him, this is a time of judgment and wrath. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And if you notice, everyone that is at this judgment all gets thrown into the lake of fire. This is the judgment of the wicked. The righteous have already been rewarded. This is the judgment of the wicked. But he not only judges them according to everything that they were done, that it was recorded in the books. Every little thing is remembered. Every idle word, Jesus said, is written down. And if you don't have Jesus cover your sins, you will be paying for all of your sins because everything you've ever done is recorded. And then what does he do? He double checks. Oh, by the way, is your name in the Lamb's book? If your name's not in this book, you're in the lake of fire. So the Jews are going to go through a time of trouble still yet to come like they've never experienced yet. But he, some will be delivered out of it. Now, go back to verse 2 now. It says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and <clears throat> excuse me, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, hang on for a second. I love the fact that God used the word many. Because it reads like everybody's being resurrected at the same time. Some are going to uh, reward, some are going to judgment. Doesn't it kind of read that way, that they both got resurrected at the same time? Some are going to reward, some are going to judgment. But no, that means he would use the word all are resurrected. This is many are resurrected at this time. Because as you're about to see, the Bible has taught all along that there was a resurrection of the dead. That there was life after dead and a judgment. The Bible taught that. Even the Old Testament Jews knew that. Some of the Pharisees tried to, uh, not the Pharisees, but the Sadducees tried to say there was no resurrection. But the Bible taught, and God's word taught, and I'll show you some in just a second, that there was such. But the New Testament helps us out now and shows us there's actually a different order of resurrections. In other words, when I talk resurrections, I'm talking getting your new bodies. When are we going to get our new bodies in the church? At the rapture. Romans chapter 8 talks about that. We wait for the redemption of our bodies. Even though we're saved and His Spirit loves within us, we groan inwardly waiting for that day we get our new bodies. That's going to happen to us at the rapture. Paul said, He's going to come in the clouds. We who are alive are going to be caught up and go be with Him. And their body's going to come out of the ground. They get their bodies. We're alive. If we're at the, alive at the time we get our new bodies, we go see Him in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. All right? But, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints, as I'm about to show you from the scripture, they don't get their new bodies until the end of the tribulation period. That's why the tribulation saints in Revelation chapter 6 were told to wait a little longer. The soul's under the altar. How long till you avenge our blood? Wait till the rest of your brothers are going to be killed in the same manner and they'll be resurrected. And we'll show you that, that the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints will be resurrected at the end of the tribulation, get their new bodies at that time and enter into the kingdom. When are all the wicked dead resurrected? At the end of the tribulation period. Sorry, at the end of the millennial kingdom. That's when all the wicked dead are brought before the red wine throne and ultimately finally cast into the lake of fire. Go with me to Job chapter 19. Let me show you. There's many. I'm just going to show you one place that talks of the resurrection still to come. Bodily, physical resurrection. Job 19. 
Look at verses 23 through 27. Listen to what Job says here. In Job 19, verse 23, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. This is what Job said. I know my Redeemer lives. And one day, he's going to stand on the earth. And even though my body is destroyed, in my flesh, I'm going to be able to see him. I'm going to have a resurrection. I'm going to have a new body. Again, Isaiah 53, we love to talk about how he was suffered for our iniquities and all those things. If you keep reading, it talks about how he's put to death. Yet he's going to see his posterity and his generations are going to worship him. Well, how can that be? He died. Well, because he's going to come back to life too. The Old Testament taught a resurrection. Actually, even Mary and Martha knew about the resurrection. Go to John chapter 11. Starting in verse 17, Lazarus has died. At this point, he's been in the tomb for four days. John 11, starting in verse 17. Listen to what Martha says. It says, now when Jesus came, he found the, that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was, not, was, was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. How did she know about a resurrection on the last day? Well, no, he hadn't told her yet this. Yeah. She knew the Old Testament prophecies and the Old Testament scriptures that taught there is a resurrection. So she says, look, if you'd been here, you wouldn't have died. But I know now if you just say the word. And, and Jesus says, he'll rise again. She goes, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection of the last day. I meant something different. And then Jesus clarifies it, and he says, look, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Let this sink in for a minute. Jesus says, if you believe in him, even though you die, you'll live. But if you believe in him, you'll never die. Well, how does that work? He says, if I believe in him, even though I die, I'll live. But if I believe in him, I'll never die. He's saying, look, if you believe in me, I will make you alive, not only spiritually, I'm also going to make you alive physically in the final resurrection. And even though you die, you'll still be alive. We go be with the Lord. And everyone that believes in him will never really die. Oh, our bodies that we don't want actually anymore, right? How many of you are still wanting to hang on? To, I'm ready to get rid of it. I'm, I'm ready for a new one myself. And the older I get, the more I'm getting there. I, I got to tell you, you know, word will spread eventually. Anyway, people love to talk about Jim Johnson. I actually had my first fall. You know, we get older, we fall. I'm only 56. I fell for the first time the other day. I actually was at the driving range with my son getting ready for a golf tournament, <clears throat> which we won. And they, um, so then... As we're hitting balls to get loose, I decided to just play in my sandals. 
because I wasn't taking it seriously. And if you've ever been to a driving range at a golf course, there are these little ropes they put down to show you where you're allowed to hit in between the ropes. I went and got a club, and I walked back, and I caught the rope between my toe and my sandal, and I was not athletic enough to get it undone before down I went in front of all these people. Of course, my son's like, are you okay? Are you all right, Dad? I went down like an 80-year-old man. It looked like I had hurt myself, but you know, I thought to myself, we've already begun. We've already begun, but we're going to get new bodies. We're going to get new bodies. But Martha knew about the resurrection at the last day. It was taught in the scriptures. Now, the Old Testament taught a resurrection of the dead for reward or for judgment, but the New Testament clarifies this and actually teaches us an order of resurrections. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. By the way, I told you guys about the false story. Tuesday night didn't get it. So if you don't run, if you're into Tuesday night people, you don't have to tell them. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, look at verses 12 and following. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, not every, that's those who are in Christ, remember. Those who are in Christ all shall be made alive. But listen, each in his own order. Christ was the first fruits. Then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So here, Paul hints at the fact, he doesn't list them all, but he hints at the fact that there's an order of resurrections. Revelation chapter 20 actually gives us a little bit more insight into this. Go to Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. Revelation 20 and verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the pit, and he shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those who to whom the authority to judge was committed. And also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. Listen, they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So here we see the Old Testament saints are alive now. The, the tribulation saints now who were killed by the beast, didn't take the mark. They're coming to life now and they're going to reign with Christ during the thousand years in the millennial kingdom. Look at verse five. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. 
When it says this is the first resurrection, it's not tied to the rest of the dead. It's tied to the ones who have come to life and reigned with Christ. That's the first resurrection. Blessed is and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they'll be priests of God and of Christ, and they'll reign with him a thousand years. <coughs> we already saw it earlier in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. What's the second death? The lake of fire. Remember? What it's called a second death for this reason. They've already died physically. They're in holding. They're going to be brought back from that, brought to life again, if you will, given their eternal bodies. And they're going to be brought into the presence of God again. They were separated from him, but now they're brought back into his presence. And what happens? They're judged because their name's not in the book. They didn't put their faith in Christ. And everything they ever done had been recorded, and they're going to spend eternity paying for everything they've ever done. There's levels of punishment in hell, folks. Everybody's there for eternity, but there's levels of punishment in hell. The Bible teaches it just like there's levels of reward in heaven. And they're all cast in the lake of fire. Well, again, separated from God again for the second time and ultimately out of his presence. Daniel's now told to seal up the words of the book until the time of the end. Go back to Daniel chapter 12. Look at verses 4 and following. But you, Daniel, shut up and shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And would we not agree we're living in those days? Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Of course, he says, I heard, but I didn't understand. And I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Now, we're going to stop here and break this down for a little bit. Daniel is told, all right, there's going to be a time, Michael, your prince, is going to come and he's going to rise up in your defense. And there's going to be a time that you guys go through like you've never been through. And actually, it's going to be really, really bad. But some will be delivered, those whose names are in the book. And many are going to rise, some to reward, others later on to judgment. But Daniel, um, just... You've written down what I've told you to write down. Don't worry about figuring it out right now. It won't be understood until the time of the end. Now, go with me real quick to Revelation chapter 22. And start in verse 6. Listen to what John, though, is told at the end of his book, the book of Revelation. Daniel was told at the end of his book, shut up the words and seal them until the time of the end. Daniel, I'm sorry, John is told now at the end of his book in Revelation 22, verse 6. It says, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon. And that word soon means quickly, not like happens between now and then. It means when it happens, it's going to happen fast. What must quickly take place, and behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. 
I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of God, words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. That's interesting. John's told, don't seal them up. By the way, when did John write his book? About 95, very good, 95, 96 A.D. Have you ever noticed how much, as we've been studying Daniel, God's had me pull Revelation to explain it? And why? Because things that weren't understandable at the time of Daniel are understandable now. We're in the time of the end. We are in the last time period right before the tribulation period. The next thing on God's calendar is the rapture of the church, folks. And people say, well, what has to happen before the rapture of the church? Nothing. It could happen at any moment. Paul thought it was going to happen in his lifetime. There's nothing. We're, we're not waiting for anything except the trumpet. But once the church is gone, after that, at some point, will this last seven-year period, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, it'll happen. Daniel was told it won't be understood until the time of the end. We're in those days now. For years, I've asked people, do you believe we're in the last days? People always say, well, I don't know. Hang on for a second. Remember Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1? In the past, God spoke through the holy prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. If you looked at Hebrews chapter 9, Verse uh, uh, 6, I think it is, or 20, and First uh, Peter chapter 1, First no, Peter chapter 1, verse 20, and Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6, you'll see that the scripture describes the time period from when Jesus came to the earth for the first time in the flesh from that point on as the last days. We're in the last days. We're in the last time period before the tribulation period and the day of the Lord. If you do a study of the term, the day of the Lord, it begins with the tribulation period, enters into the millennial kingdom. That's the day of the Lord. It's going to be a time of trouble and purifying for Israel and judgment of the nations and then a time of reward and celebration in the millennial kingdom, the marriage supper of the lamb, lots of those awesome things. But we're in the last days. Now, we've been in the last days for how long? 2,000 years. Is there a chance that we might be in the last of the last days? I think without question. Now, as I wrote here in my notes, we in the church age are in the last age or time period before the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Jesus' return for his church could come at any time. And just as we have seen progressive revelation throughout the scriptures, I also too believe that more and more of these prophecies are going to become even more clear as these things take place. Remember Matthew 24 verse 15 where Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. And then it said right after that, let the reader understand I wonder if what Jesus was hinting at is, is when that happens, there's going to be a lot of people that all of a sudden the light comes on. I think that's when many of the Jews are all of a sudden going to go, the lights come on. Stick with me here and let me help you out from Scripture how this probably may work. If you do a study of Nicodemus, you'll notice that Nicodemus is being drawn by the Spirit of God because no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And Nicodemus is curious, and he meets Jesus in secret at night for fear of the Jews and fear of the Pharisees. And he meets him at night, and he, and he tips the hand of the Pharisees. He said in John chapter 3, we know you're a teacher and a prophet come from God because nobody could do the things you do unless God were with them. 
And Jesus then starts talking gobbledygook to him. He says, you got to be born again or you won't see the kingdom. And, the, and, and Nicodemus goes, what are you talking about? You mean back in my mother's womb? What are we? I don't understand. And then Jesus says something to get under his skin a little bit. He said, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? I'm still going to start working on a guy that's a little proud. And then he says something else to him. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up and he'll draw men to himself. And then Jesus leaves him. Let me ask you a question. Did, did Nicodemus understand what Jesus was talking about that night? No, it was confusing. Yet, the Spirit of God's at work and he's still searching. If you do a study of Nicodemus in the Gospels, you'll see that the Pharisees are all meeting together and, and Nicodemus defends him. And they jump on him. Are you from Galilee too? You do a study, you'll see no prophet comes out of Nazareth. Actually, there were a couple. If you do a little study, you'll find out the Pharisees weren't even right. But what happens at the time of Jesus' death? Nicodemus becomes a public believer. When I say public, don't miss what happened. When he and Joseph of Arimathea, also both part of the Sanhedrin, the Bible says they were both members of the council, both part of that big group that had Jesus put to death, don't miss this. The Bible also says they, weren't, they didn't vote yes. They voted no. When they go and ask, for the body, ask Pilate for the body of Jesus, they were saying, we don't care about the Passover because if you touched a dead body, you were unclean and you couldn't partake of the Passover. And they so believed in Jesus, they touched the dead body publicly, went and took his body. They wrapped it, anointed it, put it in a tomb. And we're pretty much saying to all the other Jews, our faith's in this guy, not in the Passover, because they've met the real Passover lamb. Now, I think that it finally clicked when he saw Jesus on the cross. Remember, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. In the wilderness, when they were sinning and God sent the snakes to judge them, the judgment for their sin was what? Snakes. And they put that up on a pole. And they had to look to the judgment for their sin. Correct? What was Jesus? What was his death on the cross? It was the judgment for their sin. And if they looked to the judgment for their sin in faith, they would live. And I think at that moment, it clicked. Folks, Israel's experienced a hardening in part right now until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. But we have a responsibility to keep telling people and hopefully the Jews. That's why Paul said, I magnify my ministry to the Gentiles in hopes to save some Jews. Folks, one day, these things that have been said that we hopefully have been faithful to keep sharing will click when they start to happen. There's been progressive revelation. We know a whole lot more. That's why every time I reteach the book of Revelation, it's longer and bigger because I keep learning more. I'm starting to see more as God opens my eyes to more. And in the same way for all of us, I think that's a part of the going to and fro. Also, if you do a little study of the, of the Hebrew, it also means kind of probably tied to a little bit of a study. Let me say this. As always, God's given every generation, though, enough light from Scripture to know and understand all that they need in order to believe. The question is, will you read it and study it for yourself and believe? In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, at the end of John's gospel, it says, Jesus did many other things. But these are written, so what? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life in his name. In other words, he did a lot of stuff that's not written down. 
But what is written down is enough for you to be saved. Remind, let me remind you and take you back. You want to look at it later on. If you're doing study for your own self, I think you'll enjoy it. Go to Luke 24 later on and look at verses 13 to 27. You'll find the two men on the road to Emmaus. They were part of that group of disciples. They were there when the women came back Sunday morning and said, hey, we've seen angels and, 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 and he's alive. And they said even two of our number went, ran to the tomb. And we know now from John's Gospels, Peter and John ran and they found it empty and came back and said, he's not there. And they were discouraged, though, still, even after all that. And they're heading back home. And we thought he was the one who's going to redeem Israel. And listen to verse 25, what Jesus says to him. He said, uh, how foolish of heart, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ would suffer and then enter his glory? And beginning from there, he used Moses and the prophets and the Psalms to explain to him about himself. In other words, there's every generation has had enough light to believe. Did some get more than others? Yeah, because of progressive revelation. We're at a time period when there's a lot more understanding than there used to be. We're in a great time period. Oh, to whom much is given, much is required. We've been blessed with a lot. And I'm just going to challenge you. Don't sit back and think, well, I'm just going to come to Jim's Bible study and he's going to tell me. You see, go back to Daniel 12 and listen, listen to what the angel tells Daniel. Look at verse 9. He says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until our time. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. How do you get to be wise? No. No. That sounds like it, but actually, I'm going to say yes, but you've got something else first to do. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, we're getting there. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse 25. Listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Don't miss that. Who has God hidden this stuff from? The people that are wise in their own wisdom and their own intelligence. If you think you're going to figure it out by just studying it and figure it out, it's never going to happen. You have to humble yourself and be like a little child and say, I don't know. Would you please tell me? Now listen to what he says. You've revealed it to little children for this was your gracious will. Let me explain to you how awesome that is. I know that there are some people in this room that are super smart compared to me. And I, my wife will tell you, my kids will tell you, I'm smart in some areas. There's a lot of ways I'm dumb. 
And I don't understand half of what Chris and I left the joke because he does all the technology for our ministry. And thank God for him, because as much as he's explained it to me over, we've been doing this in, what, 15, 16 years now? I still don't understand anything. I was asking him tonight, what was an SD card? I don't even know what that means. Some of you know how to launch rockets and make them get into orbit and all. That's math that hurts my head. But you know what's really cool? If God's wisdom was revealed to the smartest people, it'd leave a lot of us out, wouldn't it? But it's his gracious will that it's available to everybody, even an uneducated grandmother or a slave. Because if you humble yourself, God will open your eyes. And if I'm going to challenge you, we're living in the days in which the, the prophecies are unsealed. There's a lot more that you can know. But you have to humble yourself and believe it and study it. But you first have to come to the study as a child and remain teachable. That's who Jesus chooses to reveal these things to. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things. In other words, you're trying to do it this way with your head. It's not how it's going to work. But that's the neat thing is my job is to show you just even a little bit of what's here. And hopefully you'll get a hunger to say, what else is there? Go ahead, Glenn. If you only revealed it to the people who were perceived to be smart in man's eyes, then it wouldn't do much for the pride that that's true. If he only revealed to the people who were smart, and I'm going to say it loud enough so people can hear in the recording, it, it, wouldn't, it would definitely not help the people who are struggling with pride already. Definitely. And actually, you're quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Write this down and go look at it later on. First, you're quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 2, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, into chapter 2, verse 16. Paul actually goes on in great detail there. And, and he's, oh, we got time. I think we got time. Go to 1 Corinthians 1. I want you to see this, as I think, Glenn, you bringing this up is a really good point. Let's take a look at this. And when Glenn brings up a good point, we should, we should celebrate it. All right. So let's take a look at verse, eight, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. It says, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. By the way, on my website for Just the Preacher Ministries, it actually says on the main page, that the ministry of this ministry, just a preacher, is to use the foolishness of preaching. And I had a lady contact me, and she goes, I don't like the fact that you call preaching foolish. I'm like, Paul did. Paul did. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly or foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standard. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what's low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God. Isn't that what you just said, Glenn? And because of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my wife and I were having that conversation today on the drive over. I feel this way every week. I've been doing this for years. I love teaching the word of God. But I walk in, man, Lord, I need you. I need you again tonight. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrating the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But listen, as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now these things, though, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, the natural person, the lost person, doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Oh, but the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I want to show a hands tonight, and I want honesty. How many of you have ever tried to share the gospel and thought, oh, man, I should have worded it better? How many of you have probably a time or two not shared the gospel because you're afraid you wouldn't do a good enough job? But the enemy clearly wants us to think we have something to do with it. Just tell them. And if you mess it up, it's the spirit who helped them see it. You know what? For years, Allison's been sitting back there with my wife sometimes laughing at the fact that I'll say Peter instead of Paul or I'll have my words all get mixed up and stuff like that. That happens. But you know what? I'm not too worried about it. The second I feel like I'm polished is the moment I'm starting to rest in my ability to communicate. And I don't ever want to be that way. And so I want to challenge you. If any of us lack wisdom, let them ask God who gives it freely to everyone without finding fault. I love the fact that you come and are part of the study, and I hope I've been, using, been used to God and the gifts I've been given to teach you and to encourage you, but I never want you to sit back and think, well, Jim will just tell me. Study it. It's available for you. Now, 
We're going to wrap up here in the time we have left with the part that has confused a lot of people. Look at Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 and following. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Wait a minute. How is that number different? We've seen 1,200 and something. It's always been 1,260, hasn't it? How come this one says 1,290? That's 30 extra days. And on top of that, he then says, blessed is the one who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. That's 75 more days. How come, he says, and added 30 days from the time that the abomination of desolation is set up, and, and then he says another, blessed is the one who makes it 75 days after the abomination. Remember, that's the midpoint of the tribulation. The Antichrist steps into the wing of the temple, declares himself to be God. How come there's a 30 extra days? And how come there's a 75 extra days? You ready for the answer? We don't know. But don't get, don't get lazy. I think actually we can surmise from Scripture and possibly be exactly right through speculation from Scripture what it is. And that's what I want to do in the time that we have left. All right. Now, go to Second Chronicles chapter 30. Look at verses 1 through 5. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verses 1 through 5. Something very interesting is said here that I think ties to the extra 30 days. Second Chronicles 30, verses 1 through 5. It says, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and he wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover, listen closely, in the second month. When was the Passover supposed to be taken? In the first month. Remember in Exodus chapter 12, God comes to Moses and he says, you're going to start your calendar all over. Today's the first day of the year. And on the 10th day, you're to welcome the lamb. 14th at twilight, you're to kill it. And the Passover was begun. It was in the first month. But they've all decided they're going to do it this time in the second month. That's 30 days later. For they could not keep it at the proper time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. And the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Bathsheba to Dan that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So part of the reason why they decide to wait 30 days is the priests weren't consecrated yet. There's a chance that the reason 30 days are added is to cleanse the temple. Who's been in it and desecrating it now for 1,260 days? Satan and the Antichrist. There's a picture here that there's a 30-day cleansing that may need to take place. And maybe that's why it says from the, the abomination of desolation until the temple can be used again, there's an extra 30 days. It's possibly for the cleansing of the temple. But why the 75 extra days? Well, because of time, I won't give you all the scriptures, but let me say this to you. The extra 75 days will probably be for the separation of the sheep and the goats, the rewarding of the saints, which will set up responsibilities and jobs in the millennial kingdom. In other words, if you remember, Matthew, write this down. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures to write down. I want you to challenge it and challenge you to kind of look at them yourself. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46 
Matthew 25, 31 through 46, it says, When Jesus comes back, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he's going to sit on his glorious throne and he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. He's going to take the Gentile nations and separate them according to how they treated Israel, these brothers of mine. And the ones who were righteous will enter the kingdom. Those who aren't will be cast into outer darkness and judgment. So when Jesus comes back, after he defeats his enemies, there's still going to be humans on the earth, and he's going to judge them according to how they treated Israel during that time. And the ones who had been pro-Israel are going to be allowed in the kingdom. Those who weren't are going to be sent off for judgment. That's going to take a little bit. On top of that, write these verses down, Matthew 16, 24 through 27, Luke 14, 12 through 14. All right, that's Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Luke 14, 12 through 14, Matthew 19, verse 28, and Luke 19, 11 through 19. I'm going to say those four to you again. Matthew 16, 24 through 27, Luke 14, 12 through 14, Matthew 19, 28, Luke 19, verses 11 through 19. If you look, and there's one more if you want to write this one down too, Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6, all of those talk about the fact that people are going to be given different responsibilities in the kingdom. When Jesus comes back, he's going to reckon with everybody and set up. With, remember the parable of the, of the ten minas? You've been faithful. You're now in charge of ten cities. You've been faithful. You're in charge of five cities. Remember how we read in Revelation 20, verses we see here, 4 through 6, those who had been given the authority to reign with Christ, they're going to be resurrected. They're going to be given. I think that it's going to take probably 75 days for the setting up of the kingdom and who's going to be where and what responsibilities are. And blessed is he who gets to that point, because that means you're in the kingdom. And the next verse, the last verse of Daniel 12, actually hints at that. Go to look at verse, Daniel 12, verse 13. He says, he's just told, blessed is the one who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. He says, but go your way till the end. You shall rest and shall stand, listen, in your allotted place at the end of days. In other words, Daniel's told a couple of things. He says, uh, you're going to die and you're going to go rest with your fathers, but you're going to come back to life and you're going to stand in the place that's appointed for you in the role that you are going to have at that time at the end. Now, there's something cool here. And many of you probably missed it. Did you hear what Daniel was told? You're going to be in the kingdom, Daniel. That's what he was told. You're going to be in the kingdom. By the way, you know what's one of the most grieving things I see as I travel around the country and speak to Christians all around? I run into too many, especially older Christians, who when I say to them, are you going to be in heaven? And they say, I hope so. Folks, listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his children. We're going to close our study tonight with Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, in Christ, remember in Christ, there's a resurrection of the dead. I love it. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it 
to the praise of his glory. When you trusted him, he sealed you with his spirit and he gave you a guarantee that you'd be in the kingdom. I want to ask you, I want to show hands here tonight. And if you're listening online right now and you're willing to still raise your hand, even though I'll never see it, I want you to be willing to do it. How many of you here tonight can look me in the eye and say before God, because of Jesus and Jesus alone, I will be in the kingdom. The same promise that Daniel was given, we've already been given because of the spirit within us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Oh, by the way, could it get bumpy for us between here and there? But you're going to be all right. I love you guys. We'll see you in three weeks when we start on the 1st of November in the book of Romans. Can't wait.